Well, good morning again, everybody. Praise God. As always, it's a privilege to be able to speak and preach the Word of God with liberty that we have in this nation. Thank God for that. Can you say amen? Praise God. All right. We have been going through uh, a series uh, every year that we do on uh, our identity or who we are, what we believe in this church. And today we are going to be looking at we are a people who pray. We are a people who pray. So to start with, I'm going to pray. Let's open in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. For every ear to be attentive, God, and use my tongue, God, use my mouth, God, use me. I pray, God, that the hearers would be blessed, God, that insight, revelation, understanding, God, be released, God, that we grow closer to you in Jesus' name and become more effective as your people and your body here on the earth, here in the town of Marana, here in southern Arizona, God. You see, God, and you know, and we believe you for great and mighty things. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's awful quiet in this church. <laughs> Praise God. Three things, three points this morning I want to make is that prayer is a privilege, prayer is a relationship, and prayer is a responsibility. Prayer is a privilege, a relationship, and a responsibility. So let's go ahead with the first slide. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. First of all, he's great. He's a high priest. He's great. He's not chosen among men. His office is not temporary. It's permanent. Jesus, the Son of God. Hallelujah. Let us hold fast. I was thinking of this phrase, hold fast. Anybody see any of the videos of the great tsunami that happened over in, um, I forget what year, a few years back over in uh, the South Pacific or the, the uh, Western Pacific uh, nuclear power plant in Japan got damaged. But it was such a big earthquake that it caused tsunamis and one of the largest recorded losses of life, if not the largest, in the history of mankind. And I remember seeing a video of a guy holding onto a tree as the waters are just, I mean, nothing could stop this water. Houses, everything. It washed trains. It, it just was just unbelievable. And there's a guy holding fast. I can't remember if he was able to stay on there or not. But this is the picture that I get in my mind when it says to hold fast. But what does it say to hold fast to? Hold fast our confession. What's our confession? It's that Jesus is the Son of God. That we believe that God himself came to earth as a human being, that he gave his only begotten Son, that the testimony that he gave to us is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what we're going through. It, says, it goes on to say, 
He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted in all points as we are. Every temptation that a human being will ever go through, Jesus was victorious over. Nothing, nothing could stop him. <laughs> I remember when I was in the South Pacific, uh, we met a, a French-Canadian expatriate guy. He called himself Pierre the Pirate. He said, I'm afraid of nothing. Nothing. I'm afraid of nothing until a shark swam at him. And he jumped in the boat. And the guy that owned the boat grabbed his leg from behind. Oh, Pierre the Pirate falls into the boat. Oh, oh, I thought the shark got me. Oh, I thought you said you were afraid of nothing. Nothing stopped Jesus from resisting temptation. He never failed. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? All right. He was tempted in all ways without sin. He knows our weaknesses. Hallelujah. And he's able to help us. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everybody knows, should be familiar with that scripture in Isaiah. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And hopefully you've heard the uh, alternate translation that says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Glory to God. I, I need that flood of God every so often coming in. The floods clean stuff up. They wash stuff away. Praise God. Let us come boldly. Listen to what it says about, uh, uh, from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's uh, commentary when it talks about having passed through the heavens, Jesus changed locations, but he didn't change his nature. In Hebrews it says also in this letter, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you say Amen. His character, his nature has not changed. He is God, was God, and always will be God. He just changed locations. He went into the heavens, passed through. And where he is he now? He's in the most holy place. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for you and I. That's good news. Hallelujah. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, it says these words, He himself, being tempted, is able to aid or comfort those who are tempted. When it says that we can approach him, it means to draw near. Remember, James writes, he says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Praise God. Isn't that good news? Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows, and he wants to help us. Next, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a reference to uh, water baptism. But if you know anything about the Old Testament and the law of Moses, that when they brought the animal sacrifice, the priest would tip his finger and he'd sprinkle the blood. I believe it was, he had to do it seven times. There was so, so many rules and regulations they had to follow. But we have boldness. We have confidence. Glory to God. Excuse me just a minute. Let me open my Bible 
If you have yours, open with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And read with me, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, having boldness, confidence, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What's this saying? I believe it's telling you and I that we can enter into the holy place with God. Somebody wrote a book about being aware of God's presence and, and, and thinking of your life as a holy life. You have been made holy. And it's not presumptuous of us to say, I'm holy. The problem is people don't like it when we come across as saying, I'm holier than you. People don't like that. But be that as is may, it's true. <laughs> if they're not saved, they're not born again, you and I are holier than them. But let's not have a prideful attitude about it. Jesus was humble. And the Bible tells us to humble ourselves. So we won't, don't want to be prideful. But we have boldness, we have confidence that we can enter into God's presence. We can be there. Uh, we have business there. Uh, we are welcome there. Can you say amen? Praise God. We're welcome in the, in the presence of God. Excuse me, I don't need these. They're in my way. I need a bigger desk. <laughs> Hallelujah. This word boldly, according to Strong's Dictionary, means outspokenness. Everybody ever met somebody that's outspoken? They have something to say about everything. But it also means frankness. Let me be frank with you. No, your name's Joe. No, I'm trying to be frank with you. I'm trying to tell you the truth and be honest with you. It means also bluntness. You know, just tell it like it is sometimes. Guess what else it means? Publicity. I love to see Jesus on the newsstand and Jesus being in the news. Christmas time, Easter time, you see magazines. Is this the real Jesus? Do we, oh, do we really know about Jesus? Who is Jesus? I love to see that. Let people's curiosity be uh, uh, in, incited. You know, I want to know the truth. I want to know, is Jesus really real? Is he really who he says it was? Praise God. So we want boldness means also publicity, which also means you and I should be telling people about Jesus. Can you say amen? It also means to be confident. It implies assurance that our prayers will be answered, that we can approach God's throne and we can be assured that God hears us. Hallelujah. So Jesus went into the holiest place by a new and living way, which means the old way was passed away, and he himself, he consecrated it for us through the veil that is his flesh. And we have a high priest now over the house of God. So what's the house of God? It's not the building, you know. It's the body of Christ. It's the people who love God, who have been born into the kingdom of heaven, who are the church. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. Now, let me show you something here real quick. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful in verse 24, and let us consider 
one another in order to stir up love and good works. Does anybody notice in there that there is in verse 22, faith, in verse 23, hope, and verse 24, love? Anybody ever hear that idea before? Faith, hope, and love. And now by these three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And I show you a more excellent way. When the old King James says, let us consider one another in order to spur one another to love and to good works. I don't know about you, but I'd rather not be spurred because <laughs> that's kind of pointy, you know. But we, we're supposed to encourage one another to love and to good works. Hallelujah. That's a great idea. Can you say amen? Glory to God. So, faith, hope, and love. Let's go on to the next. I really like this. Matthew chapter 7. Here's an easy way to remember it. 7 and 7.11. There's the 7.11 stores. And uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7.11. There you go. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I think God really knew what he was doing when he inspired this because the word ask is spelled A-S-K. And here it says A-S-K. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. God, God's so brilliant. It's just amazing. Ask, seek, and knock. Glory to God. What's interesting is you have to ask if you don't have something. Because when you do ask, you receive. But how many know it's not instantaneous? It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. I wish it was very uh, instantaneous. You know, uh, I, I have, I've prayed for things and seen them happen pretty quickly. And I've been praying for other things. And it's like 35 years later, it's still the same. What's going on, God? Through faith and patience. We inherit the promises of God. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says in this testimony. Um, there's a, a gentleman named Todd Nettleton with the Voice of the Martyrs. He wrote a book here. This is just an excerpt from it. He travels around the world uh, interviewing Christians. And he has wrote, written a book, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Listen to this testimony. Some people have a competitive fire that burns so brightly that heat drives everything they do. My new Iranian friend, Iman, is one of those people. Before he would tell me his story, he stopped to pray. He said he didn't even want to think about the things he did before he met Jesus. He didn't want to give the enemy even a crack in the door of influence in his life. So he prayed that God would only bring back the things he wanted him to share and that he would protect him from the memories before he met Jesus. So he starts his story talking about how competitive he's been his whole life. When he was a soldier fighting in the Iran-Iraq war, he told his commander he wanted, him, wanted to be sent to the place where the fighting was the fiercest, where the place where he could be a martyr for his country. Then after he got out of the army, he became, became a thief. When he was a thief, he was driven to be the best thief, stealing things other thieves tried and failed to catch. And he became a drug addict. He wanted to be the best drug addict. <laughs> Golly. When he was a young man, he was involved in a terrible car accident. The car was totaled and he walked away without a scratch. People saw the accident, told him how amazing it was that he'd been able to steer the car 
and maintain control, but he knew that it wasn't him. He hadn't been steering. He credited the spirit of his martyred brother who died in the war. Maybe it was his mother's prayers. He doesn't know. Years later, he found out who did rescue him that day. Once he became a drug addict, he didn't care much about anything, not his family, not eating, nothing except getting his next fix. He was on his way to becoming a statistic. There's a lot of Iranian people who are drug addicts. It's unfortunate, but terrible. There's also a lot of Iranian people who are coming to Christ, hallelujah, getting saved. One night, high on drugs, flipping through the channels, he came across a Christian satellite TV channel. Glory to God. Thank God for that. It's on the station only a few seconds, but he heard somehow the words stuck in his brain. This person said, when I gave my heart to Jesus. Wow, he thought, Christians are really strange people to actually give their heart to somebody. These days, most people don't even give away a pen. And Christians are giving away their hearts. That's crazy. Ten days later, he's drunk, again flipping through the channels. Once again, he comes across the same Christian TV channel, only a few seconds, and he hears the words again, when I gave my heart to Jesus. Changed the channel, thought Christians are crazy. His family was planning a trip out of town, but his addiction was so strong, he looked so terrible, they asked him not to come with him. He was devastated. Even his own family didn't want to be seen with him. That night, he went up on the roof of his house smoking crack. The drugs were almost gone. He's feeling the weight of his misery. And he realized he was powerless against the pull of drugs. I couldn't even imagine that I could live without drugs. I tried before and failed. In desperation, he looked up to the sky and said, God, save me. Save me from my addiction. In that moment, he was brought back in his mind to the car accident 15 years earlier. Suddenly, he knew who it was that steered the car and brought him through the experience. It was God. Without a scratch, the cars totaled, and he knew that God had rescued him and protected him then. God will do that to people. Before they get saved, God will direct and orchestrate things so that they're protected. And years later, they can look back and say, wow, God was watching over me. Glory to God. So he fell to his knees, lifted his hands in prayer, thanking God for saving him and, and repenting of not giving God credit for the miracle being saved from his, and begging to be saved from addiction. Listen to what he says next. I expected to hear a voice or that I might see a light. That's how I was when I got saved. I expected some, you know, a supernatural uh, thing to happen and, uh, and uh, nothing happened. I just asked a bunch of questions the day I got saved. But he says, I expected to hear a voice. I was really disappointed. I went back to sleep in my bed. But before I went to sleep, I said, God, Listen to what he says about God. It doesn't match your character to let me go empty-handed. Either you are not real or I am too sinful for you to do anything for me. God does not leave us empty-handed. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. That's good news. He got up in bed, turned on the TV again, and he found the Christian station. And it was the same sentence again when I gave my heart to Jesus. But this time... He listened longer, and the rest of the story was, and he saved me. Glory to God. Then he prayed again, repenting completely, giving his whole heart to Jesus, and he felt the presence of God. 
I really appreciate his insight. It's not like God's character to leave us empty-handed when we pray, when we seek his face. Hallelujah. Because God is a good father. He says to ask, and you will receive. He says to seek, and you will find. And he says to knock, and it will be opened to you. Because there are doors that are closed to you and I. There are things that we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. Can you say amen? But if we seek it, we'll get it. God is on the throne. God is on our side. God wants to help us. Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says, Fear not. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's good news. Hallelujah. Let's go to the next scripture. What man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Hey, son, this, this looks like a piece of bread, like a loaf of bread. Ha, 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 try cutting it. You're, if your dad did that to you, you wouldn't be very happy. Or if he asked for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Well, you can kill that and eat that too, you know, but it's not quite the same. What if it's still alive and it's poisonous and it bites him? You don't want to do that. If you then... Being evil, how do we, we're not evil. <laughs> the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Before we get saved, we're not, we're not, we're not really good people. You know, we're pretty good most of the time. I mean, if we weighed our good deeds and our bad deeds, it might work out. But it doesn't really work out in the end because no one's good enough. Can you say Amen. If we know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? I love that phrase. Much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him. So this sermon is about praying. Why do we pray? What do we do? We pray because God loves us, and we pray because we know that he answers prayer. That's one of the things Christians are supposed to do. I'm just astounded. How many have ever seen this? He came to a pass. He's praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Where did he get that? I've never saw anything in the Bible about John teaching his disciples to pray. Did you? This, and there's nothing in recorded history written down, any instructions from John about praying. But from Jesus there is. Teach us to pray. What Wasn't this guy, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, that's 5, 6, and 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Where was this disciple? Did he skip school that day? Is he out doing something else? Because Jesus taught in that Sermon on the Mount what to pray. Ask, seek, and knock. And so Jesus gives him the formula when you pray. And also notice these disciples. This is a student. This is a learner. Glory to God. We haven't learned it all yet. Hallelujah. There's still a lot more to know no matter how old you are. This book, somebody, <laughs> I get a newsletter from Every Home for Christ and, and uh, the, the, the newsletter said, there's a little thing in there and says, uh, little girl saw her mom reading the Bible every day. Every day she's reading the Bible again and again and again. And finally one day the little girl says, Mom, aren't you ever going to finish reading that book? 
It's inexhaustible. Can you say amen? You can read it over and over and over again, and you'll always find something new. Hallelujah. Pray after this manner. Our Father in heaven. Our Father. God is a Father. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says that we call him Abba, Father. In the culture of that day, excuse me, if you were a slave, you were not permitted to call the head of the household. You were not permitted to call the dad Abba. Only the children could call him Abba. And there was, uh, what, 80 million slaves in the uh, height of the Roman Empire? There were more slaves than there were citizens. <coughs> I guess that was part of life back then. In any event, it's an intelligent apprehension, according to Vine's dictionary, of the relationship. My dad has passed away already, but my dad was a good dad. There was 13 kids in my family, and my dad worked a lot. He was a very smart guy. He was a good accountant. Uh, he could do math and, and calculations like that in his head. He prepared taxes, and he blessed my family. He taught us about money. He was a good dad. So we can approach God as our Father and understand the relationship. So prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a relationship. When it says here, hallowed be your name, when you pray, think of these things that God, excuse me, in the Old Testament, there's a number of what you call compound names of God. Then the, uh, you've probably heard Jehovah Jireh. How many have heard Jehovah Jireh? Have you heard Jehovah Nisai? The Lord is my banner. How about Jehovah Shalom? The Lord is peace. How about Jehovah, I don't know how you pronounce this exactly, Sabaoth, the Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the God of the angel armies as the, uh, the message Bible translates it. How about Jehovah Roi, the Lord is my shepherd. Or Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. He supplied it to us. We could never supply it for ourselves. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord's presence is here. When it talks about the name of God, El Shaddai, God Almighty, El Elyon, the Most High God, El Olam, the Everlasting God. These are the names of God when you're praying. Our Father, may your name be hallowed. He supplies all of our needs. He gives us peace. He supplied our righteousness that we could never do. Hallelujah. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know the will of God's not always done here on earth? It's not always done here on earth. There's a lot of things going on in the world today that are not the will of God. Can you say amen? Glory to God. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's our intermediary. I found the lyrics to the song. <clears throat> I'm not going to sing it, but I will read it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry 
everything to God in prayer. In the Bible, it says to cast your cares upon Him. Anybody ever see uh, uh, or, or read the, the Pilgrim's Progress? Someone made a film of it one time, and there's Pilgrim with this great big burden on his back. It's his sins weighing him down, and he casts it on. Uh, he sees the cross, and he casts it on the Lord itself. It means literally to roll it off on. When you transferring a heavy load to someone else. We do this in construction. We have a lot of stuff that's heavy. We got to pick up. We got to work around it. And it takes cooperation. How many know God is more than willing, more than willing to help us? Hallelujah. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Ah, trouble with a capital T. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share. Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. He knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He will answer. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. What a friend we have in Jesus. Glory to God. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. Oh, before we do that, let's go on to the rest of Luke Give us day by day our daily bread. He's the supplier of all of our needs according to His riches and glory. Forgive us our sins. In one translation it says debts. For we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And uh, you're familiar hopefully with the uh, parable of the, the man who comes to the, Jesus says this guy owed his master or he owed somebody like $50 million. Oh, please forgive the debt. Sure, no problem. It's a big debt. In the Jewish mindset, sin and debt were pretty much equivalent. So the guy gets forgiven a whole bunch, and he goes, he finds a guy that owes him five cents or so, and says, pay me all that you owe me. And, and uh, the master hears about it and says, you wicked servant. Debt's forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? I wonder what would happen to the world economy if the law of Moses was still in effect that every 50 years was a year of jubilee and all debts were forgiven and all property returned to families and stuff. What would that do to the world's economy? Can you imagine? Oh, boy, we'll run up a bunch of debts and guess what? 50 years from now, praise God. Debts forgiven is a wonderful thing. Paid off is good too, but forgiven's even better. Hallelujah. So we're to forgive because we have to forgive others. Deliver us from the evil one. This is the pattern for prayer. It doesn't mean you take this word for word and literally repeat it. Amen? I know some churches do, but prayer is more than just repeating a set of words that somebody tells you what to do. Prayer should come from our hearts. Can you say amen? I don't know about you, but when I'm praying, there's times when I run out of words and I don't know what to say. And so I begin to pray in tongues because I, God has given me that gift of speaking in tongues and singing in tongues. And I pray in tongues as long as I feel like I can or should because there's something inside of me. I haven't got what I need yet. And I know I need to pray more. And that's what that heavenly prayer language is for. But look what it says with me. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Oops, that's Thessalonians. Sorry. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says these words, be anxious for nothing. How many know that you don't have to have anxiety? You don't have to worry. God's in control. He's taking care of things. In verse 5 it says, let your gentleness or your graciousness or your forbearance be known to all men. That doesn't mean you have to tell everybody, but they can uh, look at it and watch you and they'll see. The Lord is at hand. He's right here. He's coming soon physically, but he's right here in spirit. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the result is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. We can trust God. Can you say amen? You pray with thanksgiving, and you thank God ahead of time. Sometimes you have to thank God that the answer's on the way. Don't give up. The answer's on the way. And it gives us peace. You don't have to worry about it. In uh, chapter 5, verse 19, it says, My God shall supply everything you want. No, it doesn't say that. It says to supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. He'll meet our needs. Praise God. He's got a plan for our lives. Can you say amen? So that's prayer is a relationship. We have a Father in heaven. He loves us. He wants to give us. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Let's go on. Prayer is a responsibility. Do not fear. Prayer is a responsibility. Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says, for this reason, we also, this is the reason, the day we heard about their Colossians' faith, Paul and his companions do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How many know we're supposed to make progress in the kingdom? We're supposed to get to know God better and better. And you can't get to know somebody if you don't spend any time with them. So we are to pray. And Paul especially knows what to pray for. So here's some ideas of what to pray for people. George Mueller was born in Prussia in 1805. He studied uh, to be a Lutheran minister and uh, didn't do too well because uh, at the same time he was a petty thief spending three weeks in jail. At 20 years of age, a friend of his invited him to a prayer meeting in somebody's home. And he was astounded that these people were just common people. They weren't ministers. He said, they prayed better than me. Eventually, he moved to England. And through prayer and much prayer, he was inspired to start orphanages in England. Because in those days, if you were an orphan, um, they didn't have much use for you. They put you in uh, prison, basically. Anybody see that movie, Oliver? They take Oliver out, they're fed up with him. Small boy for sale. Basically slavery back then. So George Mueller starts orphanages, and they never made any specific requests to anybody. They prayed. And he published a newsletter I read. I didn't read the newsletter, but I read about what he published. He published over one million answered prayers. They would pray. 
He said, I don't know what to do. I have no money. Uh, we got the staff together. We prayed in the kitchen. I went for a walk. On the way home, I met a guy. He gave me five uh, whatever British pounds it was. <laughs> there we had enough. And he would always tell his staff, let's pray. Pray, pray, pray. And God will answer. It's really encouraging sometimes when you get quick answers to prayer. Praise God. But like I said earlier, sometimes you have to wait. Hallelujah. Where was I? Praise God. What a friend we have. It shall come to pass in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, God's speaking through the prophet. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 4, it says, The smoke of the incense that the angel took off the altar in heaven, it rises with the prayers of the saints and ascended before God. Isn't that awesome? Our prayers are mixed with the incense that comes that's in, uh, on, from the altar in, in heaven itself. Our prayers mix with the smoke of the incense and it comes up before God. That's how powerful your prayers are. That's how significant your prayers are. They actually come up to God. Glory to God. Isn't that awesome? Oh, my goodness. Hallelujah. The word prayer, mainly in the, Old, in the New Testament, is the word in Greek, prasuke, I think is how you pronounce it. It means to come face to face with God and surrender your life in exchange for his and maintain an attitude of consecration as an ongoing part of your life and be sure to give him thanks in advance for moving on your behalf. Come face to face with God and surrender your life in exchange for his. Maintain an attitude of consecration. How many know the blood of Jesus has separated us from the world, has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light? We are saved. Say it with me. I am saved. I am holy. I'm separated to God. I'm consecrated to God. Keep that as an attitude all throughout your day and through the rest of your life and be sure to give him thanks and praise in advance for moving in your behalf. Sometimes you just have to thank God and believe that he's going to do something. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. This is how Paul prayed for the believers. And he also asked and prays that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. What's his glorious power? Jesus rose from the dead. He's no longer in the grave. Uh, my brother uh, passed away unexpectedly last month and uh, I wasn't able to go to the funeral, but I watched the wake online and they had an open casket and I thought, it is so weird to see my brother's body just laying there when I have memories of him being so uh, exuberant about just about everything. And, and, and thank God that Jesus defeated death, that it's not the end. Hallelujah. We'll see them again. Glory to God. This glorious power, and he prays that they would have patience and long-suffering with joy and give thanks to the Father. God has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
How many know we're saints because we put our trust in Jesus? So you can introduce yourself. Hi, I'm St. Joseph. <laughs> introduce yourself as Saint so-and-so. Hallelujah. Before we get to this one, Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. This is what Paul prays for the Ephesian church. They're in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. Chapter 15, verse 21. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, when he heard about all the things that they, they trusted God, they believed God, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And this is what Paul prays for them. And this is what I pray for us, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. How many know we need to get to know God better and better and better, as I said earlier? And he prays that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Hallelujah. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. When you mention the name of Jesus, it does something to the conversation. Either people will be for you or against you. They'll want to hear more or they won't. Because the name of Jesus is powerful. Because Jesus is Lord. Turn with me also to chapter 3. Verse 14 through 19, he says again, For this reason I bow my knees. He's praying again to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And this is his prayer, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. And notice if your Bible has a dash there, it means he's overwhelmed as he's writing. He stops. He's like, whoa. Think of this. The width, as far as the, or the, the width, Jesus' hands were stretched out on the cross. The length, as far as uh, time uh, in the future and time as we know it, it's going to continue that salvation is available to every soul. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And the depth of his love, he ascended to hell and there took away the keys of death, hell, and the grave from the enemy and the height. And he's ascended into the most holy and heavenly place for you and I. And the length, time, Hallelujah. And the length, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins from us. And Paul is writing, he says, that you may be able to comprehend this. Hallelujah. 
I pray, that's my prayer, that we would be able to really, really comprehend this. Hallelujah. Because you can't share what you don't have. Can you say amen? But we do have this treasure in earthen vessels. And he goes on in verse 19 that he also prays that we would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He says, this blows my mind. The love of Christ passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's my heart's desire for every believer, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God, with the fullness of God. And you imagine, if I've read stories. There's a, I can't remember the guy's name is an evangelist. I believe it was D.L. Moody. He's preaching in England. And he, apparently... No one knew he was coming, but they got a, 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 a meeting set up for him. I believe it was at Cambridge University. And he's preaching about Daniel in the lion's den. And he, he, uh, he, couldn't, he didn't pronounce Daniel the way they did over there, and he'd call him Daniel. And uh, there was a, a group of uh, prominent students in the front row. And one man in particular, he kept looking at him because they were making fun of him as he was preaching. And the next day, the young man comes and apologizes to being rude to him during the... And eventually this young man becomes a leader of the Christians at the college there. There's another story. I don't remember the, the evangelist's name. He goes to a factory. And, uh, and, and he'd been in town. He's going to tour this textile factory. I believe it's somewhere in the, in the northeast. And uh, uh, he's there. And uh, somebody recognizes him. And one of the, the seamstresses says something funny. And people start laughing. And he says, I just put a stern look on my face and walked up to her. And uh, the girl started crying and saying, oh, forgive me and sorry. And next thing you know, the factory was shut down for a prayer meeting. <laughs> Praise God. The fullness of God living within us. Hallelujah. I would love to be able to have that happen all the time. You walk up to people and say, oh, what do I got to do to be saved? They would say, that would be wonderful. That's my dream. Hallelujah. I'd love to see things like that happen throughout the whole earth. People getting convicted just by your presence there. They tell a dirty joke and you just look at them and they say, oh, sorry. I mean, and how come you're not laughing? Well, I gave my life to Jesus. The other day I went to pick up a rental car to, had to drive up to Phoenix. And I told the young man, I said, I gave my life to Jesus. I told him I used to live in New York City. He said, what brought you out here? And I didn't have the presence of mind to think and say, well, I'm glad you asked that. I just simply told him I was about to get in a lot of trouble. But I came out here and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I gave him a card, invited him to church. He says he lives over here off of Katero somewhere. His name is Daniel, by the way. Praise God. The fullness of God. Where was I? Praise God. First Samuel. <clears throat> I will end with this scripture, I believe. Samuel said to the people, this is during the coronation ceremony of Saul the king. They said, we want a king. We want to be like the other people around here. They got kings, we want a king. Samuel tries to tell him, you have God as your king. He said, no, 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 we want a king. Okay. And, Dan, and Samuel says to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness in wanting to have a, a human king instead of God as the king. Yet do not turn aside from following the law, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside. Twice he tells them, do not turn aside, for then... 
You would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. Don't add anything to God, he's saying. Don't do it. Because the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Not for their sake, but for his sake. Hallelujah. Moreover, it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. This is our responsibility. I hope you have this attitude also that if you do not pray for people, you are lacking in what your responsibilities are. That's why Paul says, I pray for the Ephesians. I'm praying for the Colossians. You should have a prayer list at home, I hope. Is it really a sin if we don't pray for people? He thought so. I kind of think so. Talk to God about it. Ask God. Praise God. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm trying to encourage you to pray because we are a people who pray. Hallelujah. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth. And He goes on to say, I will teach you the good and the right way. Hopefully, Pastor Wayne and I, when we're preaching, we're teaching you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord. That's why Paul asks for prayer for himself also. Pray that I may have utterance to make known the mysteries of the kingdom of God, that God would give us words to speak to help you to grow. Fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. When you pray, it is not a bad idea to remind God and yourself of what he's done for you in the past. I was interrupted one time while I was praying. I was praying the promises of God. And I was saying, God, you know that you've done this and you do this and this and this. And, and you're such a great God. And somebody interrupted me. He says, God knows all that already. I know. I'm just reminding him and myself. I'm not saying it for God's sake. I'm saying it for my sake. That God is the God who heals. That God is the God who loves. That God is the everlasting God. The almighty God. The powerful God. He's done these things in the past. He'll surely do it again. Billy Graham was visiting a, a Christian, uh, I don't know what it was exactly, some place where revival had broke out. And the tour guide has got all the people and the following along, and they notice Billy Graham's not with the crowd. They go back to where he was. He's kneeling down praying, God, do it again. God, do it again. Some of you are old enough to remember the Jesus people movement of the 60s and 70s. God, do it again. Do it again among the young people, God. Do it again. Do it again, God. I hope that's your prayer. Excuse me. Do it again, God. There's no reason why can't, God can't do that. There's so much confusion in this country and in the world right now. God, break through is our prayer. Break through. Do it again, God. Do it again that there might be rejoicing in the camp. Then we'll see souls coming in, giving their lives to Jesus, getting saved, getting transformed into their right minds. Hallelujah. And delivered from confusion. I truly believe that that's what's going on in this country right now. Confusion is ruling and reigning. Hallelujah. With that, I hope to see you in our prayer meeting on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in the back room. Praise God.